Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist on a mission to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. If you only go to church when your favorite pastor is preaching, you're off mission. I pulled this powerful quote from the famous black boxes on the Instagram account of today's guest, Natalie Runyon. You're in for a treat with today's conversation, but before I introduce her, let's welcome our new listeners. Here on Real Talk with Rachel, you can tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes. They're always under 20 minutes. And every other Wednesday, we share guest interviews with people I hand select to speak into your life. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Stick around until the end of today's show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. I first met today's guest at an author retreat as our books are with the same publisher, David C. Cook. I loved Natalie from the moment I met her, so let me introduce you to her now. In 2019, after watching many of her peers walk away from the church and their faith, Natalie began Raised to Stay, a ministry for those who have wandered, wondered, and wrestled with the church and the challenges of full-time ministry. Known for her black boxes of hard truth on social media, for the church and church leaders, her heart is to see a generation finish their race as they partner with a good father who is faithful to complete the work he began in each of us. Natalie lives in Kentucky with her husband, Tony, and their two daughters. She's a sought-after speaker in the local and global church and just released her first book, Raised to Stay. You can learn more about Raised to Stay on Instagram at Raised to Stay. Well, my friends, please help me welcome Natalie to the show. Well, hello, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rachel, thanks for having me. Yeah, I am excited to have you here. We got to meet, was it last year at that retreat? It's been a year now. In August, yes. Yes, a writer's retreat. And now I get to sit with you and talk about your new book that just released. And it's so much more than a book. It's a message. It's a movement. Um, Before we get into that, I love to ask my listeners, what's maybe something about you that I wouldn't have just read on your professional bio? It can be fun fact, random fact, whatever you want. I was a gym teacher. I was a physical education teacher for 10 years uh, right out of college. So that's kind of my uh, pre-ministry life. Okay. What did you get your under, your degree in to do that? It was exercise physiology and kinesiology with an un, with a, um, education. So okay. yeah. That's what my degree is in, except for the education. My, okay. under, my undergrad degree is in exercise physiology. So <laughs> Wonderful degree. <laughs> yes. I did group fitness. I did not do... Jim, I don't know that I could handle that, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I love that fun fact. I have so much to get into with you. I want to jump in. Um, you just released your first book, right? Yes. yes. Called Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. And I, first of all, I'm trying to decide where I want to start. I guess I'll start with, I would love to, I do want to hear your story, but because you mentioned, I'm also a pastor's kid. And so in the introduction, you shared a story about how you're a pastor's kid and you actually use a phrase, brutal beauty of being raised in the church. So can you explain what you mean by that phrase? 
Well, you know, most of us, we don't have a choice, right? We, you know, we're kind of in the womb and we go straight to the pew and we're cutting our teeth on the pews. It's a, our whole family does this, this is what we do. And so there is this realization as we get older, like, oh, you know, now I'm coming out of my parents' home. Now I have a choice whether or not I'm going to be in church. But while in those early years of being a pastor's kid and growing up in church, there is this like beautiful brutality to being amongst people that become your flesh and blood. I mean, when you are with these people every week, every Sunday at potlucks and events and all of that, you know, they become like your own family. And so family can get messy sometimes. Family can uh, be a little hateful sometimes. And so as much as I loved growing up in the church and it was kind of like this family business that I didn't know I was going to inherit, there is also this brutality that is just something that we have to talk about to open up that conversation of what we're seeing now in church hurt and church disappointment. Yes. Well, and I love that phrase that you share, the brutal beauty, because I can relate to that. So I'm not a pastor. And here's the weird thing. I've gone through weird seasons of life. It, I think it's part of the wrestling, right? Growing up, like you said, I mean, I loved being in the church. Like in, in hindsight, I realized, man, so much was poured into me, such a beautiful foundation and things that are like being birthed now decades later. And it gives me hope for my kids that the things that I'm planting in them, the seeds that we're planting are going to be birthed, you know, in decades. And um, so, so many parts I love, but then I also, I did get to see the hurts and I did get to go through the hard side of things. And I remember as a teen and definitely young adult, I just, I wanted nothing to do with ministry. And so while I'm not a pastor now, I do feel like what I do here with my podcast and my book and in counseling, it's ministry, right? It's not inside the walls of the church, but it's it's my it is a form of ministry for me, which I believe everybody is in some form of ministry, even if you're in vocational work. But all of that to say, here, you know, I, I did not want to be part of ministry. And I remember when the Lord called me into ministry, I kind of was like, uh, I don't want to, but I've learned that sometimes the things we've seen from being on the other side has made us, I know for myself, and I'm seeing this with you, so much more effective in ministry because I've seen, I have seen both sides of it. I've seen the beauty and I've seen the brutal and I'm going, wait, let's don't walk away. Just like your message, like let's stay, but let's maybe do things a little bit different. And so can you, you know, talk a little bit with us about um, the difference between church hurt and church abuse? Because I know you're hearing, you're hearing a lot of this talk right now. What do you, what's the difference there? I mean, it's muddy waters across the board. We know that our trauma, you know, this being a counselor is like our trauma informs so much about our new experiences. And so when someone tells me that they've been abused by the church, first of all, I believe them right out of the gate. I'm not ever going to tell somebody, oh, no, you weren't. You were just offended or you were just hurt because we do need to lean in and be better at listening to people when they say they've been abused by the church. Now, abuse is anything that causes spiritual, physical, sexual, any type of a harm that causes psychological damage. And for some people who grew up in trauma, that could be a narcissistic leader who mishandled their heart. And that did feel like abuse because it was familiar to the abuse they saw in their home. 
Whereas hurt in a healthy person is more of that that happens relationally. It's something that isn't necessarily damaging their psyche or their physical body, but it's it's a hurt heart. It's a hurt soul. It's feeling like someone is not listening to us, not, not uh, validating our concerns. And so we really walk a fine line with this abuse and hurt conversation because all of our different experiences help shape what those things actually are that are happening. So I tend to lean towards, we've probably all been hurt by the church. (laughs) If we've been in the church for a hot second, we've been hurt by someone in the church. But I'm also learning that church abuse is a lot more prevalent than what I actually understood three years ago when I started writing on social media because of the shiny, happy people documentaries and things that we're seeing come out into the light that there have been abusers allowed to sit in pulpits far too long. So with that abuse, I would say always believe people. We need to believe and listen to each other. And then on the hurt side of things, really start having the conversation, okay, then what does healing look like? And and how do we begin to trust again after encountering both abuse and hurt? Yes. And I love that you distinguish between the two because you actually did this. You coined some phrases in your book, and I really appreciated this, the hurt and the hard and the hope and the holy. Would you mind walking us through what those segments look like? Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't choose to be hurt. People hurt us. We hurt people. It's, you know, hurt is not a choice, whereas something like offense is something that we pick up. And so I knew immediately when I went out to set the, you know, to write this book that I wanted to distinguish between the, just the things that are kind of hard with the actual hurt that happens to us. And so I start the book off talking about the hurt that I've experienced being a pastor's kid, being in ministry, and then just the hard work that it takes to really resolve to stay in position, not stay in a church, not stay in an organization or denomination, but that John 15 to remain and to abide. It is hard work to choose to remain on a vine when you feel like everywhere you turn is betrayal and um, frustration and relational chaos. And so then we get to this hope in the holy, but here's what I'm learning about us as people is that once we go through the hurt and the hard, we're very easily not even able to get to the hope in the holy because we quit before we see uh, the redemptive work of God who is making all things work for his glory and our good. So I really wanted to take us on a journey through, okay, we know it's, we're going to get hurt. We know it's going to be hard, but then there's this hope in the holy that God promises us that he finishes everything that he starts. And so I really wanted to end with this hope that if we would just remain in him as he remains in us, that we would see good fruit produced even from our tears and brokenness. Yes. And you know, the the other reason I love that you're just having these great conversations and then obviously wrote this book on this topic is as a counselor, I'm seeing more and more people walk from the faith and it's a lot of it. They've been hurt by the church and they have associated the church with God, you know, like, oh, church treated me this way. So God also has treated me this way. And like, it's, you know, hurt. And like you said, sometimes it is abuse. Sometimes it's the hurt. But here's the cool thing I have noticed that when I counsel these people who, you know, initially when I have a a new patient that comes in, just kind of getting their backstory and hearing that, yeah, I grew up in church, but don't have anything, you know, they've just walked away. As we started processing some of their pain, I noticed them start to pivot back towards not, not just the church, 
but really Jesus, which is your heart message here too. You know, like they start to, their heart starts to heal. And now all of a sudden they're going, maybe I can trust Jesus. Like maybe, maybe I need to untangle some of those things from him. So how have you seen that in your own life or just in the lives of others? Well, I think social media makes this an uphill battle for anyone in pastoral leadership or ministry because we have almost a secondhand church hurt that's happening. People may not have been directly abused or hurt by the church, but if they watch these documentaries or they even get on the wrong side of social media, they would start to believe that every church that they walk into is either going to have abuse or it's going to have some sort of of hurt associated with it. So they're already coming through our doors prepared to be hurt. And that's a huge uh, uphill battle for those of us who are trying to bring people in and, and help them trust the church again. So all we can do is point them to Jesus. We can't point people to celebrity pastors anymore. We can't point people to good worship. That all might have worked in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, but now there is this desire for deep authenticity in the church. And so as we begin to share our wounds, as we begin to tell our stories that are constantly pointing people back to the living hope that is Jesus, then what we will see is people start to, like you said, lean towards the healer, lean towards the hope and not towards people because they already know people are probably going to hurt them. So I, I do think we're in a, a really beautiful time in the church to start putting Jesus back where he belongs and taking people off their thrones and stop building man's kingdom and start building God's kingdom. Yes. Do you address this um, any in your book or even on social media, especially the celebrity culture within church and how that's affected any of this? I do. You know, I, I look at Paul in, in Corinthians and how he talks about being shipwrecked three times. And I sort of take a minute to unpack three of the shipwrecks that I think the church has got stuck on on these islands. And one of them is the island of celebrity culture. We have created gods out of people and then we put them on these pedestals and then we act shocked when they fall off. And Rightfully so, they've placed themselves there. We don't see a lot of celebrity pastors there by accident. It's not like, oh, how did I become famous? You know, um, but we as congregation members have to stop putting so much weight on people's persona, on their social media account, and start really remembering why we even started this to be begin with, which was to go and make disciples, love God, love people. So I believe as we slowly start to pull away from idolizing people and platforms, that we are going to see us get off this island of celebrity culture and start leaning back into kingdom culture, which puts God on the throne. And we as his servants, where we need to be, which is out in the field, getting the harvest ready. Yeah. I love that you also put that remind us of our responsibility in it, right? That I may not be able to control who the celebrity pastors are, but I can control how much of a voice and value I'm going to, if I'm going to put them on a pedestal or not and think my whole world could be changed if only I could touch the hem of their garments, right? You know? <laughs> and we, we do this because in our generation, and by our, I say millennials, Gen Z, you know, we grew up in this high internet, social media um, culture. And so now we have to be the ones to almost reject the thing that we created and begin to turn the ship. And it takes a ship five miles to turn in the ocean. So we are looking at a pretty long run here of having to go away from the direction we were going, but 
we have to, if it's going to help benefit the generations to come under us. Yeah. I uh, want to go back to Paul and the shipwrecks because I read that in the book and that jumped out to me. In fact, I highlighted something you said that whenever somebody has three shipwrecks and they keep getting back in the boat, people pay attention, right? And it's true. I mean, I can think of that. The the types of people I look up to in life are the ones who they've been through some stuff and they keep getting knocked down. And you're like, you even said this, you're like, I can't believe Paul kept getting in the boat. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, wouldn't you claim, all right, I've had enough. No, thank you. I'm going to just camp out here. And so I want to hear, before I get to my, the, I want to hear the other shipwrecks. You mentioned one of them, but um, do you have any other, anything else to say to that? Just that, that thing of when people notice that when you shipwreck as he did and you get back in, where have you seen that in your own life or in other people's lives? I think we all pay attention to those who persevere. I mean, we see the disciples, we see the apostles, we we even see our own Jesus on the cross for the joy set before him. He could have called 10,000 angels down and and revealed who he was in that moment, and yet he stayed in position. And so I think you're right. We're drawn to the T.D. Jakes. We're drawn to these generals of the faith, these Christine Keynes and Lisa Bevere's, and those who have, you know, gone through years and years and years of writing books and doing the spotlight thing, but also staying so connected to Jesus in a public space. And so we read about things that have happened to to those people, and then we even see it in our own churches, in our church is a 50. You see a saint who's 85, who's been healed of cancer five times and they keep coming even when they're in wheelchairs. And even when they're, you know, can barely walk, we see these people with this life so dedicated to uh, being in position with Jesus that we're drawn to their stories. We're drawn to their perseverance. And I think that this is the whole iron sharpening iron thing of uh, letting other people's stories and testimonies really inspire us that God is not done with us until he's done with us. And so when we see people continue to keep getting back in the boat, they keep getting knocked down, they get back in. Uh, there's something interesting to me about that because I think, wow, the God they know must be so much more powerful than the God I think I know. And I want to know that God. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, even for me, my dad comes to mind because, you know, he was a pastor for 30 plus years and the man's been through some stuff, a ton of health problems, ton of things that just were done wrongfully to him. Now, he would also tell you he also made a lot of mistakes along that way. But the thing that has made my faith so strong in life, and I know I, I credit this to him watching him in this way, is every time he got knocked down, I remember even as a teen thinking, Surely he's going to walk now. Surely this is going to be the thing that he's not going to say God is good. He's not going to, he's, he's a joyful person. He always walks around humming and singing some song and maybe he might have a few days of down, right? Just like any person would, but he would keep coming back. And that's exactly, that's what built my faith as watching him. Cause I just remember thinking at points, almost being mad, like, how are you still serving God? It's almost like the Job story, you know, like, like I felt right. almost like his wife, like, how are you still saying he's good? He is, your circumstances are not good. But my dad learned the truth of my circumstances do not line up with the truth of what God, you know, who God is like those two things are not equal. And I think sometimes we can confuse that. Did you know I sent a monthly therapist thoughts email? Now I promise it's not your average newsletter. Each month I share a personal note from me. Can't find it anywhere else on the internet. 
I share my favorite finds, podcast updates, and a free therapy resource. If you want to go sign up for that or really any of the other free resources that I have, go to rachelgilbert.com. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-I-L-B-E-R-T.com. Click the freebies tab and then click therapist thoughts to join the community. So you mentioned one of the shipwrecks is the celebrity culture within the church. What are the other two? I talk a little bit about the island of misfit boys and girls and just this whole orphan mentality that we often have as we're mentoring up the next you know, generation and feeling like they're not our uh, counterparts, but they're our competition. And so the importance of mentorship and discipleship in this season where we're not looking at the generation below us as getting ready to replace us, but we're seeing it as multiplication and we're seeing it as opportunities for us to sit in these spaces where we're not the end all be all. Half of us are tired because we're trying to be all things to all people. And that's just not the role that we're supposed to have. And so when we uh, don't see the generation below us as our competition, we see them as our collaborators and we're able to sit with them and really mentor them up the way that we see Paul doing this with Timothy. And that for me has been, um, I've been hurt by people who have tried to bring me under their wing. And then when I was successful, they got jealous. And that's a whole like Saul David relationship that I don't want to imitate for those that I lead. So I think it's a conscious effort to stay off the island of the island of misfit boys and girls and remember that we all have a seat at the table of the Lord. Yes. Oh, I've experienced that too. And it is, that's, it's hard. It's heartbreaking and it makes me want to do things better and different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the third island is the island of offense, which I talk a lot about offense. John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan, I quote often in this book, um, because I do think that offense is a pandemic of the church right now, and it's being called church hurt. It's being called church abuse, um, but it's taking a lot of discernment for us in leadership to be able, first of all, to discern in our own hearts. Am I living in a spirit of offense or have I really been hurt that needs to be you know, dealt with and uprooted, but it also helps us discern those we're leading when they come to us and they say we've been hurt, um, how to really listen to their story and help them discern, are they being hurt or are they just suspicious of all leadership? And so I think the church can easily get stuck on the island of offense if we feed that offense all the time. Yeah. So how would you tell the listener to discern that in themselves if if there's any practical tips you have of they're trying to discern? Am I just offended and being suspicious, like you said, or do I truly have some hurt I need to deal with? You know, I heard a really good definition of this, that suspicion is discernment masked by fear. Mm. And for a lot of us who are highly discerning, which is a gift of the spirit to have this discernment, obviously every gift has a human part to it that when we're operating in the flesh, it can rear its ugly head. And so I have to oftentimes ask myself, what am I afraid of when I feel this about this person? Have they done anything that is dangerous? Have they said anything that uh, makes me believe that they're not walking with the Lord? And what's happening in my life right now that may have made me feel bad that they didn't hug me in the parking lot or I didn't get to sing the solo I always sing every week? What is it about me that's lacking that might make me feel like that person's not for me? And as I journal through that and I pray through that, I soon will discover if 
I'm the problem. If I know we know the Taylor Swift song, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Or if it's really a, a spiritual narcissistic abuse issue that that needs to be prayed through and, and met with prayer. So I always say intercession when it comes to really knowing, like, is it offense is to really first look internally and then to look outwardly other than going the other direction. Yes. That's so good. I love love that practical advice. So in your introduction, you shared a bit of what happened uh, to your family and then how you walked away from the church and then you decided to come back. I would love for the listeners who don't know your story for you to share that story and then share with us what made you decide, you know what? Yeah, I want I'm coming back. I I'm not leaving. Share that story. When I was a senior in high school, I was ready to go to Christian college. I was all applied and accepted. And one Sunday we lived in the church parsonage, which is the house next door to the church. We had been there for seven years. We walk in and we're told on a Sunday morning, this is your last Sunday. No explanation. It was like a funeral. People were bawling and we didn't know what was happening. And we had to pack up our house and move. And there was a, a congregant that had a horse farm about you know 40 miles away, and they said, why don't you come live above our efficiency apartment? So I lived over a horse barn my senior year of high school, made completely massive changes to my plans to go to college, ended up at a secular university, um, and really had to wrestle with my relationship with the church for the first time in my life. Uh, my dad was now a used car salesman. We were driving, you know, 40 minutes to and from high school that year. Um, my entire dream of being a youth pastor got changed overnight as I'm now thinking, if this is the church, no, thank you. And so I spent 20 years um, being a worship leader and being a gym teacher and being a personal trainer and kind of dabbling in different things in the name of ministry, trying to make it make sense. Like, how do I still do ministry if I don't trust church people? And if I keep thinking that I'm going to get hurt every time I step into something. And it was around 33 years old that I took my first full-time worship leadership position. And that really began to show me, no, I do love the church. I do love the people of God. I just have to be willing to take a risk on them again. And I know people are taking a risk on me and that comes with spiritual maturity and counseling and mentors and a lot of support in your life to be able to walk back into that. And about three years ago, as I'm writing this book, um, Raise the Stay, I get a call from that church that hurt our family so badly 20 years ago. And the new pastors were in my youth group at the time. And they said, Natalie, we're doing the 100 year anniversary of the church. Would you come lead worship for us? And I kind of thought, no, why would I do that? Like, I'm finally healed. I don't think about it anymore. Like, and I realized, hey, I'm writing this book about a reconciled church. I felt like the Lord was like, you should go and see what I have for you there. And so it'll be two years, I guess two years this August. I drove, I flew into Cincinnati and went to that church. And I was met by all of those people who had been attending that church since I was a little girl. And I walked in, they're in their same pews, in their same positions, go up to lead worship. And during the offering time, the pastor went through and he introduced all of us. And he said, this is Natalie. Her dad was one of our first pastor, one of our favorite pastors that ever pastor this church. And the whole room just goes up and applause. And I realized in that moment that it was a few unhealthy leaders that had made a decision that had affected an entire church body. And these people didn't hate me. They were just as confused as I was that we were being let go that day. 
Um, but really, God is a God who is for his family. He is a God who is for a recon- reconciled church. And that's what made me want to take us on this journey from the hurt and the hard to the hope and the holy, because I got to see the hope and the holy, but it was 25 years later that I got to see God make all things work for his good. And those people were all hugging me afterwards. And they're like, tell your daddy, he was my favorite hunting buddy and tell your mom, we miss her singing. And it was like a homecoming, like a heaven homecoming. And I didn't get that until I was 42 years old. And so I think a lot of us, we quit before we see that miracle. And even the pastor who hurt us so bad, he's gone on to be with Jesus now. And I realized like, I won't get that reconciliation with him on this side of eternity but I know it's waiting for me there. Oh, Natalie, I goosebumps listening to that story. And that, that's so beautiful. And I have to repeat what you just said. Don't quit before you see the miracle. Because that did. It's like, you know, the Lord extended um, an opportunity for you to have that reconciliation. And then back to the whole offense thing, it took you laying down your offense and going, you know what? Yeah. I'm supposed to go. There's something here. I'm going to press in even when it's hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't even know it's waiting for me there. But the Lord knew and it brought your story full circle. And that right there is exactly why you're anointed to bring this message, because we got to get our own healing before we can go walk out and bring others with us. And that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. But yeah, it's cool. My my book launch was last month and um that church represented 75% of the people that were at that book launch and they're having me come and do their women's conference in September. And they invited my mom to do a breakout. And so now my parents are getting the healing side of this as well. And, you know, this is a generational opportunity for all of us to seek that reconciliation, even when it makes no earthly sense that God is so for a reconciled people. And that's what I believe the remnant's going to look like in these last days is going to be people who will seek reconciliation over revenge. Ooh, reconciliation over revenge. Preach. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. I'm just moved to tears over here because this is this is the good stuff. Like this is the what pushing into those hard places looks like and having that open heart that's just willing to press in and say, okay, Lord, let's do this. <laughs> Let's make the beauty from ashes. I love it. So what would you say the stay in race to stay mean then? I think when I first started, it was like, don't quit my position because I wanted to quit so bad what I was doing because I was tired. I was exhausted. And when the Lord gave me that phrase so generously, I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew that I was watching my friends leave the church quickly. And I thought it meant stay in church because I think from church kids in the nineties, that just felt familiar. And then as I have grown in this community with the Raise to Stay community and listened to stories and uh, been part of churches, I realized that that word stay actually is abide, raise to abide, raise to remain, raise to um, stay connected to Jesus. And, and our theme verse for raise to stay is John 15. Uh, you know, that whole chapter is just, if you will abide in me and I will abide in you, then I will remain with you and you will produce good fruit. And I think that that is the heartbeat behind raise to stay is even when you can't stay in a church, even when you have to walk away because of unhealthy leadership or you just need a hot minute to like gather yourself that Jesus is remaining with us even when we can't stay in a physical position. Um, And that promise has really sustained me um, even as I left my last assignment to move here to Kentucky um, that 
God isn't going to disconnect from me if I disconnect from a church or from a, a leadership role. And that gives me great hope for all of us that, um, that we have a God who is so loves us so much that he will continue to produce good fruit in us. Um, no matter what our physical location is. Yes. You know, yes. He, he's remaining with us and in us. That's so good. Yeah. That was what I was coming to mind. Even as I reflected on this, that stay is the, heart posture of it. I see this, obviously we're talking about it in church, but I see this in marriages too. People's hearts harden and check out long before the marriage actually ends, right? Actually physical body is not in the house anymore. And I think that's true for in the church too. It's like check doing those heart checks and going, yeah, how's my heart? Am I am I hardening it? Am I especially towards the Lord uh, above all else? So, all right, this has been amazing. Can you share with us the places they can connect with you online. I know you do a lot of ministry over on Instagram. So I want you to share with them about that in case they are not aware of your ministry there. Yeah, jump over to Raise to Stay on Instagram. That tends to be our community where people talk to each other. They get to know each other. We'll do like, uh, you know, tell us about your church. Tell us about counseling. We really want people to be in community there. But there is also a Facebook group under Natalie Runyon, R-U-N-I-O-N, where we do a lot of conversation there and a private group under Raise to Stay on Facebook uh, where people are allowed to share a little bit more intimate stuff, but in a non-sharing uh, type setting. So it's a little bit more personal there. And then the book is everywhere. Book is on Amazon, Walmart, Books A Million, um, Barnes and Noble, and we're um, I'm I'm very proud of the book because the Raise to Stay community, my stayers, are the ones who really carried us uh, to that USA Today um, bestseller list. And so I'm just really proud of the community for carrying this message with such grace and power. Oh, I love it. That's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Well, Natalie, thank you again for taking time to come on. Any final word of encouragement you'd like to share with the listeners today? You know, just remember that the work that he started in all of us, he's he's faithful to complete it. And so even on days that we feel the most exhausted and the most uh, unproductive, God is still doing a good work in each of us, and he is faithful to finish what he starts, and that includes the work in you and I. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It's time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement into your life right now. Whenever I am seeing a new counseling client, I have some paperwork that they fill out and one of the questions, really it's not a question, it's a statement that is on there is, describe your faith. And here's where this came from, not just because I'm a Christian counselor, but I learned this when I was in grad school from a supervisor that I had, and I have carried this with me. Everyone has a faith. Even atheists have a faith, right? So we all believe in something or someone. And I think that especially for those of you who were raised in a church, kind of like what we were talking about with Natalie and her message of race to stay— we can be in a bit of a difficult spot sometimes because when you're just brought up in church, it can be very tempting to get your faith off of what your parents or your grandparents did. That same supervisor who taught me this, that you know everybody has a faith, even if it's not in God, it's in someone or something, said a statement that I'll never forget. God does not have grandchildren. 
So I want to challenge you today to be very practical. Maybe consider writing it down or sharing it with a friend or even just kind of mulling over it in your own head. Have you ever considered how you came to your faith? In other words, what's your salvation story? And I'm not talking about the fun testimonies that we get to share from stage. Those are all awesome. But I want to know, when did you get to know God? What's your story? And maybe your story's still being written. But I just want to challenge you. Just as the intro of Natalie's bio said, she wants to bring people back to the heart of our loving Father. And that's how I want to end today's episode is bringing you back to the heart of your loving father. He loves you. He sees you. He sent Jesus to die for you. Are we going to mess things up? Absolutely. Are we going to be in churches and communities where we get hurt? Absolutely. But we cannot stop locking eyes with our loving father. If it's been a while since you've talked to him, can I encourage you just to enter his throne room of grace and like you would going in to talk to a friend. He just wants to talk. He is not up there ready to strike you down. He just wants to talk, to have a conversation, to hang out, to love on you. Will you let him love on you today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single person who is sitting under the sound of my voice. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to die for our sins. Thank you, Abba, that you love us too much to let us walk through this life without you. In fact, Father, we don't want to go anywhere if you're not with us. And so, Lord, I do pray that we can be those who stay. We stay the course in our faith, in our friendships, our marriage our finances, our ministries, the job where you've planted us, our families. May we be women and men of integrity, of character, who we don't look to other people for validation, but we look to you. And when other people hurt us, we take those hurts to you. We lay those things at the cross. And we stay because of Jesus, what you did on that cross. We are committed to you today and we commit our lives to following you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, if you have never left a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, would you mind taking a moment to do that? I personally read any new reviews that come through. They're super fun for me to read and bonus because those same reviews help other people find the show as well. Well, I pray this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. And I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Rachel.